welcome to the Wesley Memorial Podcast. Join us this Sunday at 1225 Chestnut Drive in High Point. Visit us on the web at wesleymemorial.org. Now here is this week's message. One of the matriarchs in the church, her name was Edna. My first Advent season there, she made sure to pull me aside and tell me it is poinsettia. (laughs) Evidently, she had heard me say poinsettia. It is poinsettia. So the ghost of Edna will come haunt you if you don't say poinsettia. Thank you for being here today. It's my pleasure to be able to spend some time with you this morning and allow the Word of God to uh, prepare us further for the coming of Christmas. We, we are so important to God that God, every day since we've come to Christ, pays us what's being called an intolerable compliment. That intolerable compliment is that God absolutely refuses to leave us alone. He refuses to quit messing with us. He refuses to just let us be. So God has paid us and is paying us that intolerable compliment of messing with us to such a degree that we are becoming more and more like Jesus Christ. That's God's intolerable compliment. He, he will accept us just as we are, but he will not let us stay there. Every day, God is working in our lives to mold us, to make us, to prune us, to help us grow up and become more like Jesus Christ. Particularly during the Advent season, we're thinking about those things that prevent us from receiving the full gift of Christmas into our lives. And I hope that you are grateful this morning. I know sometimes it's painful, but I hope that you're grateful for God's intolerable compliment toward you and toward me. Uh, Sometimes, I'll be honest, it feels a little bit like surgery when God's working on me. And I try to be grateful for it, and I know that it's a good thing, and I know that it's for my good, but sometimes I wish God would just quit messing with me for a while. But God so loves each one of us that God will continue to pay us that intolerable compliment. During the Advent season, I hope that you will let the Spirit do a new thing in your life. When when we think about John the Baptizer, and we're going to be talking about John the Baptizer this morning. When we think about John the Baptizer, we know that all the Hebrew Bible, all the Old Testament um, comes to bear on the ministry of John the Baptist. As John the Baptist, the forerunner of Jesus, tried to prepare people for the coming of Jesus. And there's many, many passages, many, many characters of the Hebrew Bible, Old Testament, that helps to form John the Baptizer for us. When I think about the ministry of John the Baptizer, I specifically think about Elijah the prophet, but I also think about Ezekiel the prophet. And one of the passages that comes to my mind as I think about John the baptizer is what we call Ezekiel chapter 37 verse 26 where we're told that when the new day dawns, when the new age comes, when 
when uh, Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the Mashiach, comes into the world to begin a new time in human history, that one of the pieces of the New Covenant, one of the pieces of the New Testament, is that through the work of the Spirit that the Messiah will unleash in the world, we will be given, in the words of that passage in Ezekiel, a heart of flesh for a heart of stone. And for me, particularly during this Advent season, I, I feel God working on me particularly in that area to make sure that he takes my heart of stone because there's something about life that just as we go through life, our hearts tend to get hardened. And God has continued striving with us uh, through the work of the Holy Spirit to take our hearts of stone and gives us and replace a placement of that hearts of flesh. So when we think about preparing for the coming of Christ, when you think about receiving the gift of Christmas more this year, when we think about the work that we need to do spiritually to prepare for the coming of Christmas, I want to encourage you to think about the ways that God wants to give you a heart of flesh for your heart of stone. And uh, only each one of us as individuals know just exactly how, how hard our hearts have become. And that's why we need that constant work of the Spirit to soften our hearts, to melt our hearts. Because you know that in the spiritual life, part of what we're after is become more and more like Jesus is to allow those things that break the heart of God to break our hearts. And that's why it takes tender hearts to be a follower of Jesus. And we're going to talk about the ways that God comes into our lives and continues to pay that intolerable compliment to us. He just refuses to let us be. You've heard me say before, and I'm sure you'll hear me say again, if you want to see or know or discern where God is working in your life right now, probably the best place to look, almost certainly the best place to look, is where you're most uncomfortable right now in your life. That's probably the spot at which God is working in your life right now. That's where you feel God paying you that intolerable compliment, where God is doing a new thing in you to help you become more like Jesus Christ. During the Advent season, um, I've always experienced a lot of those God moments where I feel God trying to help me grow up, trying to help me be more like Jesus Christ. Last Friday night, and some of you, many of you were there on Friday night when we gathered in the circle up in front of the church and we celebrated uh, the lighting of our Christmas tree. And for me, being there that night for that short, simple service and watching and listening to Pastor Clark talk about why we use lights during the Christmas season with the children. There were a lot of children gathered there Friday night to listen to the answers the children gave to see and to feel, experience their sense of awe and amazement and excitement, particularly as the tree was lit up, provided me with a God moment. And again, I felt God working in my life to give me a heart of flesh, a soft heart, a tenderized heart for what can frequently become a heart of stone. So God gives us these God moments and you're, you're surrounded by those God moments and you need to be receptive to what it is God's trying to do for you, to you, in you in those moments. Yesterday I had another God moment. Um, 
I went to buy some groceries, and that's not a God moment usually for me. <laughs> I went to buy some groceries, but as I was walking into the local grocery store here, there were members, two people, two members of one of our unity groups here. They were there collecting money, serving the Salvation Army. Um, to raise money by keeping one of the kettles and ringing the bell to help the Salvation Army give some people Christmas, provide relief to the Salvation Army. To see, to see some of our unity groups do something like that, and we didn't even have to organize it or encourage it or put it on the calendar or discuss it at the staff meeting, but to see the members of that unity group serving Christ there in front of that grocery store, uh, I felt God um, trying to wash my eyes a little bit with some unexpected tears. God surrounds us with such moments. In a few moments, uh, I'm going to go upstairs to the sanctuary, and uh, I hope some of you maybe will join us. I'm going to go upstairs to the sanctuary for our service of lessons and carols. And the music is going to be absolutely phenomenal. There's a large orchestra with our organ, our large choir. And you're going to hear the familiar scripture text of the season. You're going to hear some of the familiar carols of the season. And, and I'm going into that expecting it to be a God moment for me. Uh, to feel God tenderize my heart. Uh, God, I, I know God will use that service in a few moments to help give me a heart of flesh and place of a heart of stone. You know, uh, this coming Saturday night, um, one of the greatest things I get to experience in the Advent season occurs over in the dining hall. It occurred this coming Saturday night, Rita. I saw Rita a few moments ago. It occurred over in the, in the dining hall uh, as we have our angel tree party. And because of the work of many of the people here in the church, we will provide Christmas for dozens of children of incarcerated parents. And I know that every year when I'm in that room, that's very much a God moment for me. I feel God tenderizing my heart. I feel that God is paying me again that intolerable compliment. He just won't let me be. He just won't leave me alone. He just will not stop messing with me. He wants me to grow up more and more and more into the image of Jesus Christ. You know, I think about parents this time of the year, particularly those parents that can't do what they want to do for their children, and they know that their children see what's being given to all these other children. I can't imagine the pain, the pain that some parents experience. And, and, and I think about that, and that tenderizes my heart. And for whatever reason, God has always given me a great sensitivity this time of the year for people for whom this season is tinged with a great degree of sadness. There'll be a lot of people that will be surrounding us in many different places for whom this Christmas will be the first Christmas without a particular loved one in their life, a loved one that's passed to the other side. And I'm always very mindful of that as I think about people who are going through their first Christmas season without that special loved one in their life. And again, that's God trying to do something new in my life as I pay attention to that, as I cannot help but notice that. God is working on each one of us in so many ways 
to tenderize us, to help us grow up into the image of Jesus Christ. So I hope that you'll be mindful of all the God moments that surrounds you and realize from whom those moments come and realize for what purpose those moments come. God's trying to do a new work in your life. And during the Advent season, we celebrate and remind ourselves that, that we worship a God that loves to interfere with us, loves to interrupt human history, loves to intervene in the affairs of men and women. Uh, that's the way we see God, a God who works in history, a God that shows up at particular points in history to do particular things. That's what we believe as Christians. That's why we have a book that feels oftentimes like a history book to us, the, the Bible, because we have this God that just keeps interfering and interrupting our lives. Um, about 2,000 years ago, uh, God interrupted human history and messed with human history in, in such a dramatic way that today we even count the years um, by seeing that that year either comes before Christ or after Christ. That event about 2,000 years ago was so significant. We even keep time differently now. That was the grand and glorious interruption or interference in human history by God. And to prepare for that grand interference by God, interruption by God in human history, the coming of Christ, God sent the forerunner. God sent the forerunner to prepare the people of Israel for the coming of Mashiach, the Messiah. Um, I'm not sure what I would have done to prepare the people for the coming of Messiah, the anointed one, the great deliverer for whom they had been watching and listening and open and praying for centuries. But I'm pretty sure I would not have done it the way John the Baptist did it. Um, John the Baptist did it in a very unique way. Uh, John the Baptist came among the people of Israel in such a way that it felt way beyond an intolerable compliment to them. John the Baptist came among the people of Israel in such a way that he made them absolutely furious. He angered them. Uh, when you look at the coming of John the Baptist, um, go ahead and throw the picture of John the Baptist up for me. Then we'll get to the text. Um, here's a picture I saw of John the Baptist recently. Yeah. Happy Advent, you brood of vipers. That's the way John did it. Now, again, that's not the way we think about preparing for the coming of Christmas. We, I think that's honestly why we just skip Advent and just go to Christmas. Because Advent is a season of preparation. Advent is a time when we need to reflect and, 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 and do a moral inventory of, inventory of our lives. Uh, Advent is a time when we prepare for the coming of the Lord. Uh, and that means that we allow God to do some new things in our lives. Uh, when John the Baptist came, he came and declared that in the coming of Messiah, the Messiah, the anointed one, would let loose in the world a raging fire, the fire of the Holy Spirit. And that raging fire of the Holy Spirit would, would, would burn through people's lives, would burn away some things that need to be removed from our lives, need to be removed from their lives in order to receive the gift, in order to receive the gift of the coming of Messiah. And um, I, yeah, I know why John the Baptist doesn't make it on Christmas cards. Um, because the preaching of John the Baptist is not the kind of preaching we like. Uh, I've, been, I've been doing this a real long time. 
And, you know, every time somebody says to me, I like preachers to step on my toes, I know what they really mean. They like preachers to step on other people's toes. <laughs> or I can step on their toes as long as it is a sin that they have already acknowledged. Uh, what they are not saying to me is they want me to point out some new sins in their lives to them. They, they don't want that. Uh, John the Baptist, though, did that for the people of, um, of Judea. Uh, in, in all the Gospels, we read about John the Baptizer because John the Baptist Baptizer was, was such a startling interruption of history that all the Gospels have to relate it. You see, for 400 years, the voice of God had been silent to the people of Israel. No prophet was speaking for 400 years. And then all of a sudden, when God started speaking again, it was like fingernails on chalkboard. To the people. Uh, I want to just share with you Matthew chapter 3 verses 1 through 12. Uh, this is Matthew's account of the coming and the preaching of John the Baptist to prepare the people to receive that first Christmas. Let me share it with you. 3, 1 and following. Uh, the gospel writer says, In those days John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness of Judea proclaiming, Repent! First words out of his mouth. Repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near. The word repent is an important word in the Bible. A really important word in the Old Testament. Teshuvah is the Hebrew word. And the word repent, it means a change of mind, but it means a whole lot more than change of mind. The word teshuvah, repent, uh, means a turning but it means a whole lot more than just a turning. Teshuvah, when the prophets were talking about Teshuvah, repentance, they were talking about a turning toward God. But that always implied a turning away from our human sinfulness. We had to turn away from some things in order to turn toward God. That's what repentance is about. And the Advent season is a season in the history of the church, the historic church, a season of repentance. Uh, that's some of the primary preparatory work we do to receive Christmas is we repent. That's why we always pay some homage to John the Baptist every year during the Advent season. He's the forerunner of Messiah. He started his preaching ministry by saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near you. He says, turn, turn to God, turn away from your sin because God's getting ready to do a new thing. The kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, the rule of God, the reign of God, the the overwhelming influence of God is about to break into human history. And for you to be part of that, you have to repent. You have to turn to God. That means turning away from some sin. And then the, the gospel writer goes on to say, this is the one of whom the prophet Isaiah spoke when he said, so he, he takes him back to the prophecy of Isaiah, the voice of one crying out in the wilderness, prepare the way. Prepare the way of the Lord. Make his path straight. Uh, that's what we call Isaiah chapter 40. And we hear that John the baptizer is the one saying to people, you have to prepare for the coming of Messiah. And you know, for most of us, we think that means decorating our house and going to a lot of Christmas parties. But for John the Baptist, preparing is repentance. That's how you repair to receive Christ more fully into your lives. And um, now that... The gospel writer has told you that the Bible prophesied that this strange character would come. The gospel writer begins to paint a picture of this strange character. 
Verse 4, Now John, this John, wore clothing of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist, and his food was dried locust and wild honey. That's pretty strange. But what you're meant to see there, by the way, is that's Elijah the prophet. That's the Elijah that all the Hebrew people would have known. That's the Elijah that lived out in the desert and was screaming at the people of Jerusalem. He dressed the same way. He, he observed the same diet. So this is a strange character. Uh, verse 5, Then the people of Jerusalem city of Jerusalem and all the region of Judea were going out to him and all the region along the Jordan. I bet they were. This was something to see. Something to hear. Uh, but they would go out to see this for themselves. Um, they would go out and it says they would confess their sins. Well, you can't be in the presence of John the Baptist and not confess your sins. Look at verse 7. But when he saw many Pharisees and Sadducees, those are the religious leaders of the day, coming for baptism, John said, hmm, he didn't take Carnegie's course on winning friends and influencing people. When he saw the hotshots of Jerusalem coming out, he said to them, You brood of vipers. A viper is a snake. You know, it's, it's one thing to be called a snake. To be called a son of a snake is even worse. You brood of vipers. You offspring of vipers. Who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? We don't like to talk about wrath very much. We don't talk about wrath very much, the wrath of God. One of the things that fascinates, fascinates me about the Methodist people is this. When we first started in the 18th century, we were a revival movement in the Church of England, the established church. So we were really a small group movement. And in order to join a Methodist class meeting, you had to answer affirmatively to one question, just one question. They assumed you were Christian, and that's why you want to be part of the Methodist renewal movement. But there was one question asked of people who wanted to join a Methodist class meeting. That one question was this. Do you desire to flee from the wrath to come and be saved from your sin? Nobody would join our church if that was the question we asked, because we're talking about wrath. The wrath of God. How God takes sin very seriously. And how we have got to turn from sin in order to turn toward God. So here John the Baptist uh, sees the religious leaders coming out to the desert of Judea uh, to hear him preach. And they, they are so moved by his preaching they confess their sins and, and they are baptized. But what John sees it's almost as if a, a brush fire has occurred and the snakes are trying to get away. You brood of vipers who warned you to flee from the wrath to come. And then he says in verse 8, bear fruit worthy of repentance. That's just a Bible way of saying you, your life needs to show evidence that you've turned toward God and turned away from sin. Your life needs to show ac actions and activities that you are You've been made different because of your experience uh, with God. Then he goes on to say, Do not presume to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our ancestor. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children to Abraham. 
I'm not sure 21st century Gentiles hear what's being said at this point in the text. Let me remind you of some of your biblical history. This spot on the Jordan River, where uh, if you go with me to Israel, we'll go there, we'll reaffirm our baptisms. Um, this spot on the Jordan River is, at, is, is um, the north of the Dead Sea, uh, on the Jordan River, not far from where it's heading into the Sea of Galilee. This spot on the Jordan River is a very historic spot. This is why John went there. It's a very historic spot for the Jewish people. Uh, this is the spot, for instance, where Elijah was assumed into heaven. Uh, that's why this looks like Elijah's return with this John the Baptizer guy. Looks like Elijah's return. That spot also there on the Jordan River was the spot where Joshua led the people of Israel across the Jordan River into the land of promise. That's where they first made interest into the land of promise. And if you remember your biblical history, Joshua chapter 3, perhaps you recall that when they entered the land of promise, um, Joshua had them erect seven big stones, stone pillars, as a memorial or as a monument that uh, God had called them into the land of promise. Twelve to symbolize one for each of the tribes. I suspect, most of us suspect, when John the Baptist is there baptizing, those seven stone pillars were still standing. Uh, that's why this spot is historic. Those seven stone, stone, spiller, stone pillars are still standing. And some of the people there were so proud of their genealogy. They were so proud of who they were as the chosen people. And they thought that their genealogy, who they were the chosen, as the chosen people, would, would make them right or okay with God. And John is being a little harsh with them. And he said, you're probably saying to yourselves, we have Abraham as our ancestor. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children to Abraham. He can take these stones and turn them into the children of God if, 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 if he wants to. It means nothing that your genealogy is a certain thing. It means nothing that you're a member of a certain church. God has no grandchildren. We've got to have our own personal vital relationship with the living God. Verse 10, even now the axe is lying at the root of the trees. Uh, I think the axe is God's word of truth. And the tree being symbolized here is the, the, the people of Israel. And he says that the axe is at the root of you as a people. And he says, every tree that does not bear fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. There's fire again. He's saying if you don't prune the things from your life that, that you need to get rid of, that um, the whole tree is going to be thrown into the fire. Verse 11, he starts talking about the one who is to come. He says, I, John, baptize you with water for repentance, teshuvah, turning to God, turning away from sin. But one who is more powerful than I am is coming after me. I'm not worthy to carry his sandals. He says, I'm not even worthy to be the slave or the servant of the one that is to come. But the one that is to come, he says, will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. You can actually translate the Greek there. He will baptize you with the raging fire of the Holy Spirit. And it's a fire, the Holy Spirit's a fire that comes into our lives that will burn away some of the stuff that, that's keeping us from being the people that God has called us to be in Christ. And then he ends with an agricultural image. And he says, his winnowing fork is in his hand and he will clear his threshing floor and will gather 
his wheat into the granary, but his chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. I don't know about you. I've done very little winnowing in my life. As a matter of fact, I didn't know what a winnower was. But if you, if you look at it a little bit, what, what it means to winnow your grain is you take a pitchfork and you throw your grain up into the air and the wind will blow the chaff away. And the serious grain, the good grain, will fall back to the earth. That's how you separate the chaff from the wheat. And again, he's saying part of preparing is to get rid of the chaff from your life. You want that chaff to be burned up by the raging fire of the Holy Spirit. Again, God has paid us an intolerable compliment. He refuses to let us be, leave us alone, quit messing with us. God takes every opportunity in life, a lot of opportunities that we make, a lot of the messes that we make, He takes every opportunity to use those opportunities to help us grow up, to help us prepare to receive more of Jesus Christ. You throw up the picture of um, me at the Jordan River. Yeah. Um, if you ever go to Israel with me, I'll take you to Kasser El Yahud. Uh, that's the spot there in the desert that we're pretty sure that John uh, used that spot to baptize um, people to prepare them for the coming of the Messiah. Uh, that's because it was a historic spot. It's where the children of Israel marched across. It's where Elijah was assumed into heaven. And every time I take people there, I hope that as they are baptized to reaffirm their baptism, that they have a powerful new moment. And the Holy Spirit does something new in their life. That they sense the raging fire of the Holy Spirit. I hope the same thing happens every time we gather. I hope that throughout this season, we feel God messing with us. Trying to take our hearts of stone and tenderize them into hearts of flesh. Hope that we feel God messing with us to help us become more like Jesus. Amen.